Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. I'm excited about today. And we're going to be starting a series called This Is Us. And, and you know, there's a reality of, you know, have you ever like, come here to church and you wonder, what is this church really about? Who are they? What do they believe? What do they think? You know, I, what, who are these elders? Who's Jim Carroll? What's he up to? You know, I mean, you just think, who, who, who is, what's this church made of? Well, we're getting ready to launch a series today that's going to go for quite a few weeks called This Is Us. And in that, it's enabling you to get to know me, to get to know us, to get to know the church and what we believe. And there's a little uh, fun little video here that just, you know, getting to know you. And it's just kind of a, a time in which we can just get to know each other. <laughs> so, we're going to get to know each other. And I hope that we're your cup of tea. I hope that you like what you see and what you hear. But as we start this series on This Is Us, um, we're going to talk on highlights of things that are important, we believe, um, as a church. These are things that we value, that we hold dear to, things that we believe. But one of the very first things that, that I really want to start out with, and you've got, did everyone get one of these packets? Did everyone get, if you didn't get one, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you didn't get one. And, it, and if, do you have a pen? If you don't have a pen, I want you to have a pen because there's actually filled in blanks. Ha <laughs> ha, you feel like you're going to school, but it's. We want you to get a pen just because um, I'm just going to keep you awake. So I don't want anybody falling asleep on me here. So, um, but in that, um, so if you don't have a pen, just raise your hand and we'll get you one. Uh, the first week when we start out, I want to talk about what is a scriptural vision for the church. Why is the church so important? And why is it important to have a biblical view of the church? And even more so, why is it important to know what Jesus thinks about the church? Because in his mind, the church is everything. And in that, we want to value the things that Jesus values. We want to have an affection and a love for the things that he has a love and an affection for. If you look on your outline, 
Roman number one, understanding a biblical view of the church. The book of Ephesians is a mini course in theology centered on the church. James Boyce. Jesus approached Peter at, 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 before his ascension on, on, the, on the Sea of Galilee, and he had breakfast made, and Peter just recognized that it was Jesus, and he took his clothes off, jumped in the water, swam on the bank, and got on the bank, and it was a beautiful time of Jesus restoring the heart of Peter because Peter had denied him. And in that, when he met him on the shore, and, and he sat him down, and I imagine there was just so much emotion going on at that moment. But he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And then all of a sudden, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know I love you. Then he said, tend my lambs. And he said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And then he said, but Peter, do you really love me? And all of a sudden, Peter got to this moment where he said, Lord, you know I love you. I love you. And then he said, tend to my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And you know what he was doing with Peter? He was saying, Peter, if you love me, I want you to love the things that I love. And what I love is my church. I love my church. So much that, as it says in Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. Do you hear that? Christ loves the church so much that he gave himself up for her. He died for her. That is the truest, most beautiful expression of love is where one will lay down their lives for another. And that demonstrated the depths of his love for how much he thinks of the church. So in that, the Lord wants us to have his heart for his bride, for his church. And so sometimes we have to really reevaluate, what is my perception of the church? Because a lot of us have come from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different experiences, a lot of different hurts, a lot of different disappointments, a lot of things that let us down, leaders, people. I don't know if you know this, but there's an old saying in, 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 uh, with pastors, sheep bite. You don't know that, but they bite. You know, And so in that, all of your experiences kind of give you a perspective of the church, whether you really value it or not. Is it important to you or not? Are you seeing it through his eyes or through your experiences. And it's something that you have to do an evaluation because the reality is, is that a cross section of everybody in this room 
is the image of Jesus. And he's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a bride who's made herself ready. Now, we're still in the ready process. We're still a work in process. But there's going to come a time in which when the world looks at the church, guess what they're going to see? Jesus. Jesus. They're going to see a reflection of Jesus. But in the meantime, till we get to that beautiful reflection of Jesus, it can be a little bit messy in the kitchen. And so the reality is, are you going to have his revelation, his heart, and his desire such that you would even lay down your life for one in here? Would you actually lay down your life, give up your life in loving and serving one another in this church? That is the greatest expression of love. So how we look at the church has to be really uh, brought to perspective in our own lives to not see it as the way we see it, but to see it as the way Jesus sees the church and feels about the church. So let me ask you a question. Do you have high value for the church? Let me ask you another question. Have you been hurt in the church? Have you been let down in the church? These are all valid experiences, but we can't let those experiences shape ultimately how Jesus sees the church. So in that, I, you know, you all know that the world doesn't really see the church in the value that Jesus sees the church. Okay, I was in Jerusalem, and I was in, I was in a hot tub with uh, eight Hasidic Jews, and a rabbi came in. We're all in the hot tub in Jerusalem at, at, at the Hyatt downtown. And so all of a sudden, we're sitting there, and this rabbi comes in, and next thing you know, there was this young-looking, ruddy-looking guy, curly hair. He had blue, affectionate eyes. He sat down beside the rabbi, and he starts talking with him in Hebrew. I don't know what he's saying. Well, I had a, I had a guy beside me, a young guy named Moses. And Moses, uh, I got to know Moses, and he was just a neat, neat young guy. He was an entrepreneur, 21 years old, and he was just blowing and going up, you know, in all of the projects that he was doing. So in that, this rabbi and this guy that were having a discussion, I mean, it got heated. And they were about to go into blows. They were about ready to fight in the hot tub. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good. So, so all of a sudden, they're there, almost ready to go to blows. I said, Moses, what is this guy telling this rabbi? He said, you don't want to know. I said, I kind of do. I'm here in the hot tub. You know, I mean, I need to know what's going on if this whole thing blows up. And he said, all right, I'll tell you. He said, well, you see that young guy? He's trying to tell the rabbi that Jesus is the Messiah. I went, 
no way. This is like Bible days. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm just like, you know, the Bible's coming alive. And then all of a sudden, he said, why are you so interested? I said, well, because I'm a pastor. He said, a, a pastor? And um, he said, do you have sheep? I said, no, I'm a preacher. And he said, you mean you're, you're a lawyer? I said, no, I have a church. And he said, you're one of them. Even Jews don't have the highest esteem of the church, much less the world. So therefore, the church is, is like a diamond in the rough. You know, we're being chiseled away, we're being shaped and formed, but we are a diamond in the rough to Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to go through... Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And let's go through that together. These are outlines nine critical areas for every Christian to understand concerning the church. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in the, in the train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching by the cunning craftiness in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work so what I want to look at first is that from, from these 16 verses we just looked at, which is really a, a, a kind of a, a mini course in understanding the church, from the above scripture we can see that your callings are received. You can fill in the blank if you would like, and not achieved. 
Your callings are received and not achieved. We are not here trying to achieve something by us operating in our gifts and and achieving great heights and depths in the Lord and doing great and mighty things for the Lord. It is not by works, it is not by our own power, by our own might, but it's by the Lord. Before the foundation of the world, you were given a calling from God. You were given giftings from God. God knew you before the foundation of the world, and He fashioned you with the calling and a purpose. And if you look at verse 1, it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Much of what we have and what we've been given is something that we also have to receive by faith. And by receiving it by faith means that you are taking ownership of it, you're receiving it, and and you're choosing to walk in it. And I'll never forget that that when the Lord healed uh, Dolores Winder, who was my spiritual mother, she... She was healed of osteoporosis after so many years where she wore a body cast. And so every time people would see her in that body cast, they, you know, she always felt like a freak in, the, in her body cast. And, and then when she got miraculously healed, she went from wearing the body cast to all of a sudden not having to wear the body cast. But in that, when she was healed, she received a calling and an anointing to minister healing to the body of Christ. But the reality is when she first got healed, she felt like, you know, Lord, I went from one freak to now being another freak. And now I'm I'm totally healed. And now there's this power flowing through me to minister healing to people. And she says, you know what, Lord, I don't want it. I don't really want to walk in it. And the Lord actually appeared to her and stood before her with a loaf of bread. And he had tears in his eyes, and and she knew exactly what the Lord was saying to her. He's saying, I'm giving you the whole loaf, but you're only eating crumbs. And he wept because she wasn't receiving what the Lord had for her and to begin to step out in it because he wanted her to minister healing to a dying and broken world. And so some of you have been called and have been given a great calling. And some of you are like, you know what? You know, Lord, I, 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 I know that, but, but I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know if I want to receive it. Well, this is something that is to be between you and the Lord, but there has to come a point that ultimately, who's in charge of your life? Him or you? Are you going to finally, with all your heart, receive by faith the calling that is given you and start walking in it? Because it's a beautiful gift from the Lord, and it's only because He loves you. So, second part is that relationships are to be based upon reality, not romance. Let's look at verse 2. Be completely humble. 
and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do you see right there? There's a reality that, you know, in, in the body of Christ, you can't fake it till you make it. You can't act like you're some person when you're really not. We're to be humble, gentle, gentle, and authentic. And you know when someone really cares about you, you know, you meet them and you look in their eyes and, and you can tell when their mind is on something else or something that they want to do. And they're like, hey, yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, nice meeting you, huh? And they, you know, it's kind of like you can tell, you know, they don't really care about me. They don't really know me. They got it in their mind of something they want to do, where they want to go, what they want to accomplish, and I'm not a part of the plan. So we can't fake it. We have to be gentle and humble. Consider the other person more highly than you do yourself. And that is the attitude. And then unity, the next one, unity is to be maintained and it's not manufactured. Verse 3, let's look at that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You can't manufacture unity like, like we're in, um, in, in Russia. You know, this isn't a com communism. I can't make you be unified with me. So there's going to have to be effort on my part on keeping the unity. Because the scripture says, how can two walk together unless they both agree? The reality is, is that maintaining unity means that I'm going to choose not to get offended sometimes. I'm going to choose not to get upset with you sometimes. I'm going to think the best. And if there's things that I think could be changed, it's not my place to always put you in order. It's my place to maybe pray for you and pray that you come to the revelation and understanding of maybe an area in your life that you need to grow in. So keeping unity is really choosing the highway, the best way, God's way. And to forgive one another. Forgiving one another is helping maintain unity in the body of Christ. And then it says believers are to be contributors. That next blank there. Believers are to be contributors, not consumers. Let's look at uh, verse 7. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But to each one grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So being contributors, meaning that God has given you a measure of grace that, that you are using for the very purpose of His kingdom. See, when we come to church, as we are contributing, we are operating in our gifts, we're operating in our callings, we're loving one another as Christ would, we're humbling, we're gentle, we're considering the other person more highly. All of this, see, this is not a cafeteria. You don't cut, you know, when you go into a cafeteria, you say, I want that, I like that. Oh, I like that dessert right there. I'll have that one too. And then at the end, you get your food, you sit down, and you eat. 
A contributor is thinking, how can you serve one another? How can I be here for one another? A contributor means, okay, maybe I need to arrive early at the house. I know we're going to have a big meal. Maybe I need to help, you know, the cook, you know, uh, set the table. Do I need to help uh, in preparing the meal? Do I need to help in serving the meal? Do I need to help in um, coordinating games and discussions at the table? Do I need to coordinate, oh, how do we got to get ready? Oh, does somebody got the coffee on? Uh, no, we don't have coffee. Oh, well, I'll go get the coffee. So in that, we're all contributing. You know, if I let Eliza do everything from cook to clean the kitchen every day, and I just sat there and said, just feed me. Mm-hmm. Just, just feed me. Take care of me. Oh, by the way, yeah, you can feed me. Oh, that was good. You know, that would be pretty selfish of me, wouldn't it? I wouldn't, things would not go well. So, <laughs> I've got to contribute. Next, gifting should be demonstrated, not discussed. Look at, eight, look at verses 8 through 10. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive in his train and gave gifts to men. Look at verse uh, 8 through 10. And let's look at verse 10. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Our giftings, there is a demonstration of the grace given to us that in, in using our giftings fills the earth with the very essence of Jesus and the reflection of Jesus wherever we go. But your gifts are to be used in the body of Christ for the very purpose that we can edify and build up one another. And so therefore, the church is to be an environment where your gift can operate and can be utilized for one another. And in that, it's one thing to say, yeah, I have a gift of preaching the word, or I have a gift, I have a gift, I do this, I have a gift of healing, I have a gift of, of deliverance, I have a gift, and like, like you have a badge, Woo! see my badge, but you never do anything about it, you never do what your badge says, then basically you're just discussing it, talking about it, making yourself look bigger, so leadership also should equip the next blank there, not merely entertain. So as a church, the leadership here at Generation Church, we're here to equip you and, and, and to build you up because it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I mean, that's a beautiful picture that, that my job is, is my assignment is to equip you so that you do the works of the ministry. 
All the works of the ministry is not to land on, on me, nor is it to land on Jim Carroll, nor is it, you know, or Marilyn and, and, and Tim. It's not just to land on, it's to land on everybody. So in that, that makes us into a, a functioning family where we are equipping everyone. And, and next, the church should grow in maturity and not remain immature. Verses 12 through 14, look at that. To prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We are to go from milk to the meat. We are to always be maturing and growing in the things of the Lord and, 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 and to not just stay where we are. And, and growing into maturity is going to require you to let go of some things, to grow up in some things, and to receive some things. There's, there's going to be a lot of, of, of chipping away at things in your life. But you know what? One part of, of, of maturity is understanding that there are some seasons where he prunes you. You know, and, and pruning, I remember when we first started the church, um, I, you know, we, we, we had several families came with us from Atlanta and we planted the church and um, we were, the church was operating out of our living room. And uh, it was just several families and my family. And then all of a sudden, all the families that came with us were no longer with us. And I said, Lord, did you bring us up here to kill us? What did you do? And, you know, the Lord showed me that there was a measure of fruitfulness in my life. And he wants more fruit. You know, the vine dresser wants more fruit. And so, therefore, he says, I cut you back. I cut you back now. And I got to the point where I told Liza, I said, you know, honey, if it's just you and me, The Lord is enough. He's enough. He's enough. And I realize that sometimes in pruning seasons, it's really for maturity and for growth. It's not because he's mad at you. He's just the vine dresser, and he just knows he wants fruit out of you. So he prunes you. You know, I, I, I kind of was like, is this thing going to live? Because he cut pretty deep, you know, I'm like, whoo. I looked at this vine and I went, well, I hope it produces some fruit. So, so in that, um, and the church, the next point is the church should be growing, not stagnating. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all, in all things, grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Grow up. We're not to be stagnant. We're to be continually growing. We are to be continuing, we're to be students of the word. We should be meditating upon His Word. We should be growing in His Word. We should be growing in our giftings. The aspect is that we are continuing to grow. You know, there's an element where we are always to be students. 
There's an old saying, when you stop becoming a student, you stop learning. And when you stop learning, you stop leading. And then when you st- we have no desire to want to learn anymore, you just basically are buying your time. And the reality is, is that he wants us all to be students. He wants us all to be growing up in the things of God. The next point is that membership in the body of Christ, being a, a part of a body, we should be connected and not detached. So verse 16 says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are joined and held together. We are connected in this beautiful organism called the body of Christ. Whether you know it or not, there's a supernatural ligament called the Holy Spirit that keeps us connected. And and the aspect is that, you know, if one of the branches, you know, I can't just all of a sudden speak to my arm and say, you know what, my arm is just going to go and, and be over there. If my arm just goes and bees over there, guess what? It's going to shrivel up. It's not going to make it. It's got to stay connected to this body for it to thrive and live and get big and get big muscles. You know, it, it's the reality that we've got to stay connected, not detached. And that is one thing in the American dream is individualism. Is that, you know what? It's me, it's my way, or the highway. And I don't need anybody else. It's like the army. Be all that you can be. I'm, I'm the chief bottle washer cook and everything. I can do it all. No, you can't. The reality is we need each other in the body of Christ. And the result should be, the next point, we should be a church that's advancing, not merely maintaining. Verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The kingdom of God is ever advancing. I know you guys might not realize this, but while you were sleeping last night, the kingdom of God was advancing and growing. You know, the universe, as when, when, when God spoke into the heavenlies and created the expanse, do you know that scientists are still discovering that it's still developing and growing? Galaxies. It's still developing and growing because His Word is... is is always alive, and it does not come back void. So when God said, let there be light, when he spoke into the expanse, all of a sudden, it didn't just create one thing. It is creating and recreating and developing every single day. It is growing and expanding, and that is the reality of the kingdom of God, is that while you were asleep last night, The kingdom of God was advancing. So it's not stagnating. It's always growing. So, B, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Let's read that. This outlines uh, some terms every Christian 
should understand concerning his place in the church. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The first key truth I want you to understand is that the church is not a meeting to attend, but a life to be lived. The next blank. It's a life to be lived, not a meeting to attend. The church is a family. It says God's household. It doesn't say that the church is like a family. It says that the church is a family. It's a spiritual family, not a cafeteria. Because remember, a cafeteria doesn't require any commitment or responsibility. It just, you just show up and eat. But the reality is, is that we're a spiritual family where we are all to step up and figure out how we can serve and love one another. Point number three, truth. God expects Christians to be a member of his family. Notice that he says you are a member of God's very own family. Every Christian needs a church family, and we need each other to be strong in our Christian faith. Point four, a Christian without a church home is an orphan. I don't know if y'all thought about that before. Without a church, you really, in a spiritual sense, are an orphan. You belong in God's household with every other member of the church. And God has given us more than 30 instructions in the New Testament to simply, that we we just can't be fulfilled in the context of, of just our gathering, even on Sunday morning. You know, one person cannot just decide, you know, if... If you could be the hand or the ear, the nose or the liver, you wouldn't say to your liver of your body, I think one week I'll be a part of this body over there, and then next week I'll be a part of the other body over there. Pretty soon what will happen is this unconnected liver will shrivel, will shrivel up and die. So we've got to be a part of a church family where we operate in our gifts. Now I'm going to go through these. These are 31 another's in Scripture. I want to read over these real quick. I got the addresses in front of them. Love one another. Mutually depend upon one another. Be devoted to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Have the same mind towards one another. Do not judge one another. Accept one another. Counsel one another. Greet one another, wait for one another, care for one another, serve one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, forbear with one another, encourage one another, build up one another, stir up one another, be hospitable to one another, minister gifts to one another, clothed in humility to one another, don't speak evil against one another, don't grumble against one another, confess your faults to one another, pray for one another. 
fellowship with one another, and bear one another's burdens. Whew! So how many of these one another's can actually be carried out in a church service on a Sunday morning? You just can't do it. I, that's a lot of one another's. And I don't know if I can fulfill all those one another's on a Sunday morning. That's why we got to do life together. That's why we got to meet together. That's like we got to be together in the homes. We got to be serving one another, caring for one another. You know, weeping with one another. Let our heart be for one another. And you know, you know what the difference between an unconnected tumbleweed Christian and being a member of a church family? Because that's really what happens, is that we float and we flitter over here, and then we float and we flitter over there, and then we go over here and taste this. Ooh, that was a good sermon, but I'm going to go over here and try this out. Ooh, they got good worship. Ooh, I'm going to go over here. Oh my gosh, they got a great children's ministry at this church. Oh, but I'm going to go over here too because... Whoa, they are preachers of the word. They know the word. Oh, but over here, whoo, prophetic is flowing, baby. <laughs> word of the Lord over here. Oh, there's healing. Oh, man, my side, I need healing. Oh, over here. Oh, I'm going over here. You know what? You get worn out. And in that, the, the difference between somebody that is, is, is tumbleweed like, like, like you're, you know, can't, you know, that, that, what's that grass in Kansas? That, you know, that tumbleweed, yeah, it just kind of goes wherever it wants. The difference between the two is commitment. We become Christians by committing ourselves to Christ. We become members of a church by committing ourselves to one another. I'm committed to you. We should say, we should say that I'm going to my church. This is my church home where I'm going to give and I'm going to be given to, where I'm going to serve and be served, where I'm loved and I will be able to love. Authentic New, authentic New Testament Christianity centers on commitment, not convenience. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 19. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So the church is God's community of children committed to him and to one another. Biblically, the church is people. It's not a building or an institution. People built together as a place where God dwells. Larry Tomczak says this, actually who was my senior leader um, in Atlanta, authentic Christianity is coming under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ and being joined to a community of imperfect people who are learning to live a new life in a new way. He, the apostle John in Revelation, wrote to individual churches Small clusters of believers, leaders and followers together, 
And at the heart of these letters is God's assumption that we belong together at work and at worship in a local church. I am convinced that the cluster of believers which you are a part of, these brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you, in light of this awesome truth, it is scandalous that so many believers today have such a low view of the church. They see their Christian lives as solitary exercise, Jesus and me. Or they treat the church as a building or a social center. They flit from congregation to congregation. Or they don't associate with all or any other church at all. That the church is held in such low esteem reflects not only the depths of our biblical ignorance, but the alarming extent to which we have succumbed to the obsessive individualism of our modern culture. Charles Colson wrote that. Arthur Wallace says, Community is the very essence of the church, the very lifestyle of the kingdom. The church is community. D, commitment in the church is initiated by God. As it says, number one, the Holy Spirit places us in the body just as he desires. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 19. But in fact, God arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Psalm 68, 8 says, God set the lonely in families, and he leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Number two, it is our responsibility to recognize where the Spirit is placing us. That's what's important, is that as we're going through this series, you might be somewhat new to the church, getting to know us, but it's important that you're making a intelligent but spirit-led decision of, Lord, is this where he's wanting me to be planted and to be a part of this family? It is important because the Holy Spirit has got, he's got the most wonderful job. He gives gifts unto men, and he also arranges and he places people in the body where he wants them. And it's just, it's just all we've got to do is just recognize what is the Spirit of the Lord saying in our lives? What is the Holy Spirit saying? Because we're to be somewhere with the family, with the church. And, you know, those that just try to do church at home by, by watching Joel Osteen on, on TV is not church. That's not church. You can't have church with a TV. Because church is to be with the body, a family, a household. It's to be with the one another's. It's all those that we're to, we're to kind of wrap our arms around. And I know that it is it requires a little bit of flexibility, a little bit of Love, understanding, because I'm just going to be honest with you. There are some people in the church that, for you, if I could just 
put you in that seat. They're harder to love than others. I don't want you to point out anybody here. (laughs) But you know what? It's those people that Jesus places in your life to mature you and grow you up. You know, I... Everybody is not to be just like me, although as wonderful as I am. (laughs) But the reality is, is that there are individuals that don't even think like me, act like me, talk like me. And sometimes I look at them and think, where are you from? Podunk? You know, I'm like, but the reality is, is that God has chosen individuals in my life, those that are easy to love mid-range to love, and are hard to love. And I don't have a choice if I'm going to love this one, this one, not that one. But the reality is, is that we're all a family. But the beautiful thing about it is, a lot of times those that might require a little bit more love and patience on your part, it's going to be for your betterment. It's going to be for your growth. It's going to be for your maturity. It's going to be for you to see the intrinsic value and beauty in that person, and to see them how Jesus sees them, and not how you see them. That is so important. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want everybody to like you, and, and, and for you to not get offended, and for, for you to, you know, for everything just to be lovey-dovey, church is going to be really tough for you. Because it's going, to, it's going to require you to die in some areas to find life in some areas in your life. So in that, it is just our responsibility to discover where is the Spirit moving us and leading us. E, a commitment is a call to sacrifice. An end to your independent way of life. Romans 12, 5 says, So we, numerous as we are, are one body in Christ, the Messiah, and individually we are parts of one another, mutually dependent on one another. In the Amplified Version, we are dependent on one another. Ah, That's hard for some people. Me included. So, every member involvement, the scriptural benefits of community can only be realized as each individual fulfills the scriptural responsibilities of the community. Number three, in a day in which many see faithful attendance and involvement in a Sunday service as either optional or I don't know how important it is, I humbly yet unwaveringly uphold the biblical standard to celebrate the first day of the week as a day, as our day of worship, service, and rest to the glory of God. Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by going your own way and and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and the feast and on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. 
The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hebrews 10.25 says this, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Do you realize that there are some in the habit of doing, of basically waking up and think, well, I wonder how I feel today. Do I, want to go, do I want to go to church? No, I don't feel like it. So the reality is, is that we've got to not give up coming together because it's to our benefit. It's to your benefit. So a biblical vision for church life, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Go ahead and slide down to verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Paul is making it very clear to the church in Ephesus that every believer must grow and mature into the fullness of Christ. But how do we grow up in all things as a believer is contingent upon individuals being plugged in and a part of the household of God, of church. So there's 10 essentials that I want to go over real quick, and, um, and then we're going to wrap it up. 10 essentials of this church, Generation Church, that we believe will help us grow up as believers. Number one, we hold a high value in this church of the number one calling and purpose for every individual, and that is to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. We are all worshipers. That is our number one calling and purpose, is to worship the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is everything about this church that I want to be a people of his presence where his glory dwells. I want God to habit, I want him to have a habitation here, and he does. And in that, we, you know, some of you might think, why do we worship so long? You know, why is worship got to go sort of 40 minutes? It's because it's primary. It's because it's essential. It's because we're here to meet Jesus. We're here to minister unto him. We're here to prepare a meal for him. We're here, we've come out from a busy week, but we're here to serve our master. So in that, worship ushers in the very presence of God, the anointing of God. So it's all about our pursuit in loving God. That is the number one essential thing in this church. Second is prayer. Prayer is our first response, not our last resort. Church, we are called to be a house of prayer. Are we praying? You know, I have to tell you, you know, faithfully, Chris and Haley, every Tuesday evening, are here to have a prayer meeting. And guess who shows up? Me. And them. And that's it. You know, when you call a prayer meeting, you don't fill up the room. It's like maybe one or two shows up. But the reality is, 
nothing happens unless we pray. And, and it's like, we've got to see that we've been called to be a house. Your body is called to be a house of prayer. So in that, prayer is vital. Thirdly, Holy Spirit. We welcome the Holy Spirit in every capacity. He is the honored guest here, the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit is here, which he is, if he wasn't, I wouldn't want to be here. Because the Holy Spirit's anointing is what breaks the yoke. It's where it releases the power. It releases the gifts and we're able to minister to one another. We need the Holy Spirit in every capacity. Fourthly, equip. We are discipling a generation in the Word of God. I believe in the full counsel of the Word of God. I believe everything in the book. I believe it's been God-inspired. I believe it's God-breathed. I believe it is the truth. But we're also to be a people of the Word and of the Spirit. You know, there's an old saying, if, if you just have uh, the, the word, if you just have the word, you're going to dry up. If you just have the spirit, you're going to blow up. But if you got the word and you got the spirit, you're going to grow up. So in that, we need the word of God and the spirit of the Lord to grow us up in all the things of God, to discover our own purpose. Fifthly, honor. I believe we are to have a culture of honor in this house. And respect is to be given to all ages, races, no matter what your background is. I don't care if you were raised by wolves. The reality is, I need to honor you and love you just for who you are and what God has called you to be. There needs to be a house of honor. Sixth is outreach. We are reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus. There ha- we can't just be, we just can't be about this. Because there's an element of Jesus that he says, go, go. And in that, we are to have a heart for our city. We're to be having a heart for outreach reaching out, going into the highways and byways and finding the downtrodden, finding those that need to hear the good news of Jesus. We are going to be reaching our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. Number seven is healing. We are committed to seeing the brokenness, spirit, soul, and body, the brokenness, spirit, soul, and body healed in the name of Jesus. Healing is a value in this church. And in that, whether it's a physical healing, an emotional healing, a spiritual healing, a mental healing, healing is a virtue and a value here. You know, Jesus paid such a price for our healing that by the stripes on his back were healed. His scourging was painful. But he was willing to be scourged and beaten so that we might be healed. And if he held such a value to healing that he allowed his back to be mutilated, 
Don't you think it's something that we as a church should value? And that we should see that this should be the very culture of our church. Eight, community. Community is our culture. Not a status or an obligation. It is who we are, community life. I want people, when they come to this church, when we have a visitor that comes here, I want them, the first thing they feel is, wow, I feel connected here. I I feel like they really like me. They really want me to be here. There's nothing that is that is more challenging to me. I'm just going to be really transparent with you for a moment. That when I see somebody visiting the church for the first time and they sit down and they're there and I see no one talking to them. That grates me more than anything. I'm like, I want to drop everything and make sure that I go and, and honor that person and thank them, get to know them Community feeling connected. You know that one of the things that you'll hear about in, in, the, in the church at large, you know, I've been going to that church for 10 years and I still don't feel connected. I still don't feel a part of that church. You'll hear people say, you know what? I was going, I just didn't feel connected. Well, it, to be connected and to be in community is very intentional. You have to be intentional. You have to reach out. If you see somebody coming and they're just sitting and no one's talking to them and they don't know anybody, go over and see them. Go over and meet them. Introduce yourself. But having this culture where it is a, it's an honor to, to connect and, and, and to build people together, it's an honor, not just an obligation. Number nine, generation. We are a generational church. If anybody doesn't know, our name at this church is Generation Church. So what does that mean? Every age, every race, every ethnicity, whatever, doesn't matter what age, it is one generation coming together to serve the purposes of God. And in that, you know, sometimes... It's hard for some churches to uh, embrace just young people, or it's hard for some to embrace the older people. But the reality is, is when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a bride that's going to be made up of all ages. So if he's coming back for a church of all ages, don't you think we need to really make an effort to get to know each other now? Because one day we're going to be with each other forever in heaven one big family, so let's just learn now how to love and appreciate people of all ages. I mean, I know I'm getting in the older spectrum of things, but I'm still young at heart, and I still love to do fun things. And in that, the reality is that a generational, a hallmark of a generation is Malachi 4.6, where the hearts of the fathers turn to the children. And then it says, and that the children turn to the fathers. And there's a unity, lest I come and smite the lamb with a curse. A heart of a father, you know what it is? It's it's the uniting of the, the, the passion and the zeal of the younger 
with the wisdom and the experience of the old to be one body before the return of Christ. And in that, it's a beautiful thing. I love the fact that we have a 103-year-old faithful member of this church named Joe Jane. Come on. You know, a year ago, she was still driving to church. And you don't know where she's driving from. She's driving from the highest mountain in Black Mountain, and her driveway is like going off a cliff, and she's going down 90 miles an hour downhill. And Jim Carroll's, he's, 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 she's, she, he said he can't even catch her. So it's true. She says, come on, Betsy. Well, she's just flying down the hill. So, so the reality is, is that we're uh, one generation coming together. And number 10, transformation. We are a vehicle of hope, truth, and, and love for our city, nation, and the uttermost parts of the world. Acts 1.8 says this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The good news of Jesus transforms a city, transforms a nation, transforms the world. We, now that we've been built up, joined together, love one another, exercising our gifts, honoring one another. Now we are to take the good news that we have learned, and now we're to transform our city. Asheville should not be the way Asheville is right now. Asheville should be turned upside down for Jesus. You know what the scripture says is that Paul, when they were preaching, it says, Those that are preaching Jesus and the kingdom have come into our city and have turned it upside down. We are to be turning Asheville upside down with the transformation message of Jesus Christ, the good news of our Savior. We should be seeing Asheville not have a a drum circle, but a worship circle where people are worshiping downtown and not just doing drums. So in that, we are to see this whole region transformed by the love of Jesus. Amen? I'm done. I'm done. So class, next week, no. I, I, I hope that you'll love this journey because... We're going to be taking you through some key components of, of what's important and what we value here um, at Generation Church. And this first one is understanding the value and the love that Jesus has for his church. Imagine if, if Jesus came and just sat down and, and started talking to us here. You know, you talk about the things that are most important to you. And if he sat down here in our midst, just like Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. His heart and love was for his church. 
And everyone's important. Children, the older, mid-age. And I imagine if he sat down, he could only talk about you, how much he loves you. When I get around other people, a lot of times I want to talk about my grandchildren. I have six grandchildren, beautiful grandchildren, and I love to talk about them. Well, Jesus has a whole bunch of grandchildren. He's got a whole bunch of children, and he loves to talk about them. And if he was here today, I say, he'd say, y'all come just gather around me right now. I want to talk to you because I like you. Not only do I like you, I love you. He loves his church so much that he laid down his life for the church. That's his attitude and that's his affection. And you know, there's something that Jesus does in the Word where he would show his disciples what was important to him, and then what would he would say? And go do likewise. What he's saying is, okay, if you understand that I really do love the church, then I want you to go and share your love for the church. I want you to see each person the way I see them and value them and love them. So go and do likewise. So Lord, I pray right now that, Lord, this just not be an exercise of of a value within this church, but this be a living reality within our hearts that we could see things through your eyes and through your heart. We could see the beauty in everybody because we're all made after your image. And Lord, I just pray that if there be any area in one's heart where um, the value of the church is not there because of experiences, Lord, I'm asking that you would bring Restoration to every heart here. Restore every heart here. If there's been hurt, let us forgive. If there's been things spoken of us, let us release. If there's been things said to us that hurt our hearts, let us not get offended. Lord, I pray that you would remove any hindrance to us understanding the intrinsic value of how you see the church. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would make all things new, all things right, and you would work together everything for good to those that love God and are called according to your purpose. Lord, I pray for a renewed vision and understanding of what it is to be a part of the household of God. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord Jesus, 
I just, I have this impression that there are some here that have been hurt by the church. And um, it happens because we're imperfect and we're human. But if there's anyone that has been hurt, let down, disappointed, and it's been hard for you to get over it, I want you to get some prayer. And um, Tim, if you come up here with me. Eliza, if you want to come up. If, if you guys want to come up, you can. But if anyone has... Um, Anyone that's been hurt, disappointed, let down, and you're still having to work through it, let today be the day where you just let it go and receive healing and just receive um, just a new perspective on the church. So if, if you need some prayer, I, I'd love for you to come forward now. You know, why let this moment pass? If, if there's something that's kind of stuck in you, let it get unstuck today. Let Jesus heal your heart. So, and it's, a, you know, don't be afraid to say, yeah, I've been hurt. Well, guess what? I've been hurt. And not just one time, hundreds of times. But I forgive. I let go. I bless. And I love. So if you need some prayer, I want you just to come forward. Let's all stand. Father, I just thank you for this beautiful, wonderful church that's made in your image. And I ask, Lord Jesus, right now that you would um, bring healing and that you would bring restoration to anyone's heart here today that just needs a touch from you. And Lord, I just ask right now in Jesus' name, Lord, for you to make everything new in their hearts. And I pray, Lord, you bless and keep each and every one. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them and lift up your countenance and give them your shalom peace. And I thank you in Jesus' name. So if you need some prayer, come on forward. And if not... Um, Give the person a hug beside you and say, I love you. We're a part, we're family.